On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, celebrate Christ, not demons. We will untangle some 2,000-year-old knots, and we get the most impolite question ever written into Hungry for Wisdom. We're considering adding the questioner as a regular co-host because he's going to fit in just fine. It is episode 50. Can you believe that? What? 50. Let's turn this sucker up! A little bit of whiplash there in our, our weekly headbang fest. Nice work, by the way. Your yes. beard's getting long enough that it's starting to have lag time. You know, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to keep this through the year, see what happens. Yeah? Oh, yeah. That's like another month? You know, what I might do is I might grow it out nice and big, and then I can do the big old braid like the bass player for, like, corn or something like yeah. that. Yeah, you know, problem with it, the, like, the maintenance gets untoured. Yeah. It does. In it a does. situation like that. And on top of that, you know, it's like, okay, how scary do I want to be both to... The dear saints here, <laughs> my, they'll be and, all right. And I'm my a... <laughs> children and, and my children's future. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about one of them bringing somebody home, like I might marry this person, and they're like, "No, yeah, nope, your, your dad's going to murder me." <laughs> you see this guy? He looks like a serial killer. <laughs> Hide the steak knives. <clears throat> it's Thanksgiving dinner time. Speaking of <clears throat> holidays, wow. See, that's the problem with doing a live show. I mean, not live, unedited, undisciplined. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. You can't like pause that stuff. All right. Um, we are here after, this is the day after Thanksgiving. So uh, you are catching the bearded beaver and myself in uh, the, the tail end of a trip to Fancoma because mm-hmm. also, you know, I had leftovers for lunch today. Oh, yeah. Right, of course. Turkey sandwich. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't? Right. Oh, yeah. Got to get it on that gravy again. Uh, but we are talking all things Christmas because that is obviously the next thing coming up. And we love Jesus. We love celebrating Jesus. And this time of year, um, you know, we get to do a lot of that. But there's a lot of biblical questions, discipleship questions that come up around issues of Christmas. And it seems as though there have been more and more. In the last few years, they're kind of ratcheting up in the intensity, which is an interesting trend. I wonder where that's coming from. And before we analyze all these things, we need to take a look at uh, matters of wisdom. So, uh, let's do exactly that. Proverbs three thirty three, and everybody says, says here, the curse of Yahweh is on the house of the wicked but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. All right, guys, so what is God's job? So usually in asking this question, our minds will go towards a few things, right? Like at least if we're biblically solid, we're going to say a few things. Well, right from the beginning, his job is to create. He created everything, and now he creates life and so on, right? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. One of my personal favorites, John 1, 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And check it, guys, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So God's job is to create. God's job is also to uphold. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, and all things have been created through him. And also he upholds all things through the word of his power. I paraphrase that second part because I forgot to copy paste it. Job number three that we often think of, his job is, of course, to save. And praise God for that, right? So looking, uh, Titus 2.13 says, we are looking for the blessed hope, the appearing of, our, uh, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
His job is to save. His job also, thank God, is to bless. Psalm 115, 12. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. So his job is to bless according to himself and his word. Now, the prosperity crowd is going to stall out on that last one, right? His job is to bless. And that's all they focus on because they are fleshly in their pursuit of spiritual matters. And for them, you know, the the point of following God is basically to get free stuff from him. So they ignore a lot of the other functions that don't result in them having more stuff. But even if we do have a biblical worldview, we're going to still forget some of the functions that God has and that he claims for himself, right? Because like there's a lot that he does for which he deserves glory and honor. And there's so many things that he does that we really can't keep up with them. So what we're going to do is naturally kind of tend to gravitate towards our favorite ones, which is why all the ones I just listed out are positive functions of God, things that we would say yay to, right? Some of them though, we will more naturally skip over because they're harder to contemplate. They're harder to think about. Proverbs 3.33 says the curse of Yahweh is on the house of the wicked. So his job is to curse people? What? Well, look, one of the jobs that he claims for himself is to administer justice, right? And yes, sometimes that takes the form of what we would call a curse. But I got to define this for us because definitions sometimes in our culture are, are, have, have drifted from where they are in biblical culture. So in Bible times, when you say curse, we're not talking about like a voodoo doll, witch Dr. Marabou type of curse, right? It's, it's not like he sadistically causes pain to people out of some kind of spite just to watch him squirm. A curse in the Bible refers to when God instigates a balancing of the scales against his enemies and the enemies of his children. So, like, think about it this way. Sin leads to death and suffering, right? It just always does. General principle, bedrock principle of of life and existence. Sin leads to death and suffering. Sometimes, God will step back and let that suffering fall on the people who are causing it, right? That stepping back of his, that's a curse, that is one of the ways that looks. Psalm seven sixteen. His harm will will return on his own head, and violence will descend on top of his own head. Psalm one forty one ten. May the wicked fall into their own nets while I safely pass by. So that lack of intervention for somebody's good, that's a curse. So sometimes he holds his hand back, that's a curse. Sometimes he will actively cause the downfall of those who hurt his children or dishonor them. That as well is a curse. Not so much by passive action, but by active action. Check out Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you, and those who curse you, the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we see some opposites here, blessing and curse, right? So to bless somebody is to work to elevate their station. To curse somebody is the opposite of that. It's to work to lower somebody's station. So yeah, God curses the wicked. It doesn't always look that way, right? Sometimes it looks like the wicked prosper. But in eternity, it never ends up that way. Wickedness, hear me people, Wickedness always brings a curse from God, always. Sometimes right away, sometimes the the curse is so distant that we have a hard time even associating it with the wickedness of which it is a result. But rest assured, wickedness always brings a curse from God. Every time, with zero exceptions. And by the way, this is one of the reasons that the cross is so miraculous, right? Like how much wickedness have you and I committed that we are not being cursed for? And so, like, we, we commit wickedness, but we did not become a curse. The question is how, and the Bible's answer to this is shocking. Galatians 3.13, I don't think I'll ever be able to read this without having my head explode. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He became a curse for us. So he says in Proverbs 3 that he will curse the house of the wicked. And then that curse that should fall on us, he actually took himself. He not only entered, but became, for covenantal purposes, the house of the wicked. So our wickedness has been cursed. It is finished. God is not going to punish the same sin twice. And as a result, we have no curse upon us. We are seen as righteous. And what happens to the house of the righteous? Well, Solomon answers that in Proverbs 3 as well. The curse of Yahweh is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. We get God's blessing because of Christ. Okay, so look, I I don't know why God does the way he does, why God does things the way that he does things, right? But the way he has gotten this blessing for us is one of the, I mean, this is a weird way to say it, but it's one of the most creative things I've ever seen. Like, I've read a lot of novels. I, I like action novels. I like political thrillers. I like military thrillers. I like all that stuff, right? Some of those storylines get really intricate and, and fascinating, but I have never, ever seen a twist like this. God became a man and jumped in the way of the wrath of God directed at man. God protected us from God. Who could think this stuff up? You know what I mean? Just like, you don't, you don't come up with that. That's not a plot twist. That's a miracle. That is otherworldly logic here. You know what I mean? Like, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments? How unfathomable are his ways? So that's the end of the matter, right? Turn to Christ and your curse will be turned into blessing. This is true in eternity. And that blessing has foretastes and previews even in this world and in this life. Being righteous in the sight of God, Solomon would say, is a good way to live. So excel still more because it was purchased for you. And with that, something that is not purchased for you but is given away completely freely is the presence of the bearded beaver. (laughs) Good to see you, bro. (laughs) Good to be seen, sir. I'm going to try this one. Oh, yeah. Because we got some spicy questions today. We got some good questions today. Although, well, it's even got a little like jingle bell thing going on there. It kind of does. Yeah. A little mystery funk going there on. There we go. Yep. I tell you what, man, I, I really do just have an, an innate hatred for disco. Just because I'm a music student and disco is yes. so corny and cheesy and whatever. Mm-hmm. But every now and then you get something like this. Well, Kind of nails it. And if you get something that's like not so over, part, part of it was it's so overplayed. Yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, look, I love, I love me some Earth, Wind, and Fire, right? Oh, yeah. And, Come on, uh, man. And I love September. Give me some. Man, sometimes it can be just played an awful lot. It really can't. Well, like, so listen to the thumping bass on this, right? Doom, doom, doom. So what they would do, I found this out from a guy that was a, a, a club musician back in the 70s they would take that and they would speed it up by 10 beats a minute um every verse and so people would dance faster and faster and faster and they'd get more and more thirsty and they would sell more liquor dude yeah the disco was a marketing scheme for club owners oh that wouldn't shock me yeah and they, boy they cashed in well, you gotta make money somehow Tell right? you what, speaking of making money <laughs> uh christmas has become somewhat commercialized yes sir yeah that's something we all lament right so we decided guys to just take our christmas themed questions and hit them all on this uh episode because um we get these every year and i mentioned at the beginning like we get these with not only increasing frequency 
Like this is what your second Christmas that you've done in ministry in Washington state before that, that it was correct. all in California, right? Yes. Okay. So I don't know if your context is the same. I don't know what you've noticed. Mm-hmm. I've noticed over the last, you know, 10 years that like I used to get questions about, well, how pagan is Christmas? Should we be celebrating this stuff or, and, and how and whatever? I used to get those questions once or twice a year. Now it's a lot more. And so I don't know why there's a ratcheting up of that stuff exactly, but I figure, hey, we have a podcast. Let's just hit it head on. Yeah. So what do we got? Well, I don't know, but I think it's interesting because we do see a larger um, a growth of, of a more secular society. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the religious underpinnings and things like that, and even the traditions that we we have whole we have held dear for so long those are new and those bring up all kinds of good questions especially when we realize that some of our traditions are we we hold them maybe because they've been passed down not necessarily because they have their roots necessarily in the bible well and that's probably true of every culture that it's yes. it is a small minority of the people that have questioned their traditions because traditions are just what you do yeah. right you adopt it yeah and you do and it's it's a comfort mechanism i mean some of our best childhood memories are around precisely holiday gatherings of whether it's christmas or whatever mm-hmm. else right so it's, it it becomes a part of who you are and certainly a part of a, who a culture is and so yeah as our Maybe maybe that's it. Maybe like you're saying, as our culture kind of loses its historic moorings, we we're looking at these things more objectively, saying, yeah. "Okay, I've always assumed this tradition to be good, but now it's more. It's just easier to find the information first off, but also to just create the questions of like, yeah. is it actually good? Well, and you, and then again, you got the proliferation of like you know you know all all the various ways that we both get good information and bad information. Yep. And so when we, the the question that becomes how do I sort through all of this and how do I as a as a god wanting to be a Christ honoring follower of Jesus to to how do I what do I do with all this? Am I am I doing right by my lord by celebrating for example um this this holiday. Mm-hmm. So which brings us into really our kind of our first question, right? And and so I'm gonna I'm gonna combine kind of the the first two that we had talked about here. Um, this is from Gary, and the question is: Was Jesus really born on December 25th? I heard that it was a pagan holiday before it was a Christmas, and and are, and are we celebrating a pagan holiday when we celebrate Jesus's birth? And the follow up kind of crystallizing question is: Should a Christian then be celebrating Christmas on December 25th? Gut reaction, I love the heart of this question. Totally. Right? Yeah. The, I mean, the, the heart of this question is, is very Berean. Mm-hmm. It's like, like what, what does God want? Yes. Show me. Right? So, yeah, here's a guy who's willing to question his assumptions and go for it. So, Gary, high five, bro. Um, all right, so there were a couple of things in there. Yep. The first one was just basically a data point. Was Jesus born on December 25th? Yeah. No. Nope. No. Um. We don't know the date of Jesus' birth, but we know roughly the time of year. It seems that it would fall on uh, in the Jewish month of Tishri. They had a different calendar. Um, you know, they they go by they go by um, lunar years, so three hundred and sixty days as opposed to our three hundred and sixty five day solar calendar. So the dating gets a little bit wonky to us, mm-hmm. um, but you can you can kind of start to narrow it down. So this is this is not going to be precise or scientific in any way because. I'm not reading off of notes here, okay? Um, but you, there's internal evidence in the Bible to say, all right, it must have happened at this time of year. So we start big picture with the shepherds in the field, right? They were told that there was a birth of 
the Messiah. The angels show up and they're just like, ah, glory to God in the highest. Like the incarnation is a thing. Kaplow. I forgot to dedicate this episode. I forgot to do the dedication, bro. You did. Pause. Shepherds in the field. That's where we're coming back to. All right. Okay. Bookmark. Pin in it. Okay. This episode of Hungry for Wisdom is dedicated to Jesus. Yay. Because, <laughs> because we're celebrating his birth. And by the way, my personal favorite doctrine is the incarnation. If I could only study one doctrine for the rest of my life, I would study the incarnation. The resurrection is close. It's a related issue. I love that. But like even, yeah, I don't know, man. Even like the, uh, the the deity of Christ, I love that. But it's like, yeah, he's God. What would you expect? But the humanity of Christ, that to me, that's where all the mystery is. I think God becoming fully man without sacrificing any of his deity. Like I, I just love the whole incarnation thing. So Christmas is is my jam, doctrinally speaking. So we're dedicating this episode to Jesus. <laughs> And we already did that one. Okay. So shepherds in the field were told to go in. Now we know some things historically. The shepherds only went out to the field at certain times of the year. So they basically went out from uh, Pentecost through a certain, you know, through basically the end of the month of Tishri, which would be early October. By the time, what, by the time our November rolls around, they're not out there anymore because it's too cold. And so the shepherds wouldn't have even been out in the field on December 25th. So that gets us starting to look to say, uh, what's, what's going on here? Well, the question is, can we get more specific? And the answer is, yes, we can a little bit. Because we know from Luke chapter 1, the date of Zacharias's um, rotation as high priest. So Zacharias was the father of John the Baptist, right? So he was he was in the rotation of high priest. We know the date of that. And then he got a revelation from Gabriel saying, hey, your son is going to be the guy that announces the Messiah. And then John the Baptist is conceived right after that. Okay, so we roughly know, maybe not down to the day, but we pretty much know down to the month or the half month, the, um, the date of the conception of John the Baptist. And we know that Jesus was six months younger than John the Baptist. So we can pretty much calculate right off the bat that Jesus was born in uh, you know the month of Tishri, which to us would be, I think, mid to late September. Sometime in September to us. And if I remember right, it's mid to late September. Um, and then that fits well with what we know about the shepherds and the agrarian society and things like that. So no, he was not born on December 25th. Yeah, I mean, you've... You've got you know, you've got the evidence right of the shepherds right. The shepherds were doing a particular job yeah. during that time. I'm sorry, I think I said yeah. that wrong. Not not conceived in mid to late September, but actually the conception would have happened at a certain time, and then he would be, he would have yeah. been. You calculate that out, he would have been born mid to yeah. late September. Yeah. Sorry, shepherds doing a certain job. That's all right, and and it's and it also kind of comes down to the translation of of that of uh, one twenty six, right? Because in at least if you're following along in your English Standard Version, it says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent. From uh, God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, right? Mm-hmm. Which would put, if 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 I'm taking that into account, then that month is, oh gosh, I just looked it up. Um, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Nisan because it's the only other Jewish month that I know off the top of my head, and it's my last name. Well, close to my next name, <laughs> so we'll take that, right? Yeah, uh, the but, month of Ben. But in doing the math, in, in doing the math from that from that sixth month. Um, and then going forward about nine months, assuming that Gabriel was announcing at the same point in which the, you know, the, the, for in you, right. You know, is conceived. Then, then you've got probably somewhere in the neighborhood of possibly even like May, June as well. That's of, of conception of no, of, no, of, of birth. birth. Oh, it might've been even earlier. Yeah, than September. it's possible. But okay. again, this is where, you know, were any of them near what would have been traditionally known as December 25th. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
So there's like, like I said, there's a number of scholars that go a bunch of different ways on this, and I'm sure. not. And and so the the nice thing is is that is that we can. First of all, we we do know he was born. That's a, that's, a, that's a big thing. <laughs> yeah, and and you know the so that but that does beg the question then if he wasn't born on December twenty fifth, why are we celebrating it? Yeah, as a and, result of that. Well, good question, Gary. And and one more thing, also, I have heard an interesting case, which at the time to me was persuasive. I don't remember the whole mm-hmm. thing, but it was that guy that like he, he took the map of the stars and put it in that computer program that sort of like reverse engineered where the stars would have been at a certain time on that day, whatever. And then this star was in retrograde at that time. And that was the star over Bethlehem. What what the heck was that guy's name? Anyway, it was a pretty interesting case that he laid out. And he said that December 25th is a pretty darn good guess as to when the wise men would have gotten there. But that wasn't a Jesus birth, right? That was actually when Jesus was a couple years old because when he was born, he hightailed it down to Egypt with Joseph and Mary because Herod was trying to, you know, murder the Messiah. And so then he came back when he was a couple years old. That's when the wise men came over from the East and presented to him. So that might've happened in December. I mean, heck, it might've happened on December 25th. I don't even know, but that was, it's not a, even if that, even if the coronation, I guess you could call it happened then that would not have been his birth. So, now, that's one, one little other insignificant detail, but now to the larger question, which I've completely lost again. One more time. Okay, so, should a Christian... Well, first of all, if Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, right, why are we celebrating the birth of Christ on December 25th? Well, the answer that would make Robert Breaker happy is because we're all actually pagans and we're not Christians unless we read the King James Bible. So, now that we got that side of things out of the way... Oh, I feel better already. Let's, <laughs> let's actually talk about facts. Um, yeah, so, the, I mean, let's just, let's just talk about the elephant in the room, right? Like, the big thing is, well, that was the, the uh, festival of... Was it Mithras or was it Saturn? I, think it was, I thought it was Saturn. It might have been Saturn, yeah. So, Saturn, the, the Roman pagan god, and they had a festival on December 25th. And so, the story goes that Christians were like, well, we need to be able to contextualize and reach out to pagans so we'll make our celebration at the same time as their celebration and we'll fit in well and there won't be any resistance because we'll just be doing what the rest of the world does but we're secretly going to do it for jesus whereas they're all actually going to hell but we're going to do the same pagan stuff but we're really going to go to heaven and it'll be holy now if something smells off about this historically uh you're right because historically the christian church has not been like hey Let's minimize all forms of resistance and persecution and keep our heads under the radar. <laughs> Normally, they're like, hey, some stuff is true and some stuff is not. And then the Roman government would come back and say, well, we're going to kill you. And they would say, then we will go to the gallows and be burned at the stake and be torn apart by beasts while singing hymns to our God. So you can pretty much throw out all that low-level internet history that you find. Um, they, we do not celebrate on December 25th as a matter of tradition because they wanted to fit in more with the pagans. Right, that's not a, that's not a thing in early Christianity. Although, from a missional standpoint, I could see how maybe Christians saying we, we throw better parties. Come to our <laughs> side, yeah. You know, we throw parties that you don't have to feel sad afterwards because right. you have a hangover. We you guys throw. are having drunken orgies and babies whose names you don't know because you don't remember conceiving them. We are actually having fun. You know, legit, very different. Fun. Yeah. Now, with that said, though, let me let me kind of talk out of the other side of my mouth and balance this out because. If everybody is off work for a religious festival and you want to celebrate Christ, but you can't go to the religious festival, when do you have free time to get together and celebrate Christ? 
Maybe while nobody's expecting you to be at work because they're all partying in the streets, right? So we still party. Darn right. Yeah, but that's a that's very, very different than syncretism, which is marrying Christianity with paganism and really kind of celebrating the same thing, but with a secretly godly motive or something like that. What that does is it takes the, the, um, the deep, dark uh, conspiracy code out of it, and it's just like, yeah, historically... Stuff was pretty complicated, and Christians operated in the middle of that and and celebrated Christ. So I don't know exactly how it became a widespread tradition. I mean, except in the Middle Ages, that was obvious, right? Like that some pope came out and was like, oh, December 25th is when he was born, and that's what you're going to celebrate or you're going to die. But, you know, we can pretty much forget about those guys. But how it became that that tradition in the first place, I don't, I've never seen any evidence and I'm not a, a, a history scholar, but I do read a lot of history, specifically church history. And I've never seen anybody before. I think it was like 780, 800 AD. I've never seen somebody in the early church taking a stand on Christmas being on December 25th as a matter of religious conviction. So seems to me it was a celebration of opportunity. Yeah, the only the only other thing I can um, I can point to is whether it was, uh, you know, having something to do with uh, you know Constantine and and the the baptizing of the whole Roman world as, yeah. as and then the baptism of like say for example the festival of Saturn or something like right. that. But well, that, and that definitely did happen because yeah. pagan uh, Constantine was still a pagan even when he claimed yeah. to be a Christian. And we yeah. you know this was in another episode. I give Constantine zero credit for any anything doctrinally good whatsoever. I am yeah. not a Constantine fan. Yeah. Not everybody agrees with me on yeah. that. Well, I, it's interesting because I've been listening, I've been listening to that, um, to, to that history of the church that you recommended by Gustavo yeah. Gonzalez. Uh-huh. And he, 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 it's, it's, he does not necessarily paint Constantine in the, in the brightest light, but he's, he's real about it. Right? If I remember right, Gonzalez basically just validated the debate. He was like, yeah. you might see him as a good guy. You might not. There are some yeah. good reasons not to. Let's not be too quick to call him a saint. Yeah, and especially the more re- recent revised one. You know, again, because there's more stuff that keeps getting you know discovered or something yeah. like that. So it's really interesting. If you if you go to Audible, not a sponsor, and uh, you want to <laughs> take take a take a really long book and listen to it, whether it's your commute or whatever. Um, that Justo Gonzalez's history of the church is very very interesting. Yeah, I think that's my favorite church history book. Yeah, I, it was funny because I, I grew up on Cairns, which is uh, yep. another guy who wrote uh, a history of the church, a history of Christianity, and uh, that was that was the textbook back in, in my school. But it, but I've really enjoyed listening to this particular uh, church history because I think it's important we understand our church history and oh, yeah. where some of our questions like this are important because we have to we have to not be caught flat footed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so dear believer, please rem- please understand that Jesus most likely was not born December twenty fifth, and it's okay, and it's okay, and it's still right. okay. To, yeah. So and and Constantine did standardize a lot of stuff, right? So he he did say, hey, here are our festivals, and Christian festivals and Roman festivals are now the same thing because Rome is Christian, you know, yeah. and that was that was his thing. It's like, whatever, dude. So the fact that he standardized it does not mean that the church writ large was coming out with a biblical basis saying, this is what we must do in order to be faithful Christians. Yes. So that's the difference between, like, it, it's, it's an area of, of freedom that the church made use of, not an area of Christian conviction that we celebrate on this day. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. So I just heard Kanye West, by the way. Did you, or Ye, I guess he's calling himself now. I, he's just Ye. Why do rappers change their name all the time? I blame Snoop Doggy Dog. Yep. And the fact that nobody has said the word Snoop Doggy Dog in the last 25 years, because he was Snoop Dogg and then just Snoop, and then he was Snoop Lion. You remember the Snoop Lion phase? I do not remember the Snoop Lion He released phase. a reggae album, and he said he, was a, he said he was a Christian. No, 
that was one after the other. He released a reggae album, called himself Snoop Lion. And then he was done with his reggae phase. Then he was a Christian. He got saved or something, he said, and released a gospel album. It was terrible. And then he went back to being a weed-smoking gangster. So he, he's gone through a lot of phases. I, I just, I, all I know is he's, uh, is he still in the Martha Stewart phase? Because I think they just released a cookbook, I heard. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> And this is our recipe for brownies, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Man. Not, not safe for school. She learned some stuff in prison, I'll tell you Apparently. what. Apparently. But yeah, so I, what was I saying? Yay. Yay. Oh, and then also Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, Papa Diddy Pop, whatever, changes yep, his name. Exactly. So now Kanye West is changing his name to Yay. I just heard a snippet of a conversation he had with Lex Friedman because he got in trouble for saying that the Jews are bad and stuff like that. So Lex Friedman has him on and calls him on it, right? I really appreciate the way Lex Friedman does interviews. I'm like, let me listen to a couple of snippets. I can't listen to the whole thing because listening to two hours or three hours of Kanye West will make you as crazy as he is. But he actually made the comment. I, I Dude, I just about snapped my phone in half. I was on a plane listening to it, right? And uh, about snapped my phone in half because he was like, he was like, we shouldn't teach anything in school except engineering. And I'm like, Okay, he's just making stuff up and talking now. But then he picked on history. And he's like, we don't need history. That's looking in the past. We need to look forward. And I'm just like, bro, stop. Like, you speak of that which you do not know. History is so vitally important. And this is a very long way of coming around to what you were saying, that we need to know our history because our, our feet are on very dry cement as Christians. And that supports us, right? Yes. Now, the the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the church. And so we go back to the Bible. That is our sole authority for faith and practice. Now, given that, how we, how we got to where we are, first off, God gets a lot of glory out of how he's managed things in history, right? Mm-hmm. There's the saints and the martyrs. And by saints, I mean Christians who are examples, not like deified saints like Catholicism or whatever. But there's the, the you know, Christian history is full of saints and martyrs and, and uh, screw-ups and all of this stuff. And we will and we do repeat those lessons because we don't learn them. And furthermore, it explains why we do what we do now, you know? So history is massively important for Christians. It's not as authoritative as the Bible by any means, but my goodness, if, if there's a good use of time for the Christian outside of reading the Bible and praying, reading some history is a good option. Oh, absolutely. So there's my plug for history books. Yes, history is good. So understanding that December wasn't, December 25th was not, you know, Jesus' birthday, so there's not, it's not, not necessarily the day that he actually was born, but the question then becomes, should we celebrate it on December 25th? That's a great question, and before we get into that, I just want to say I'm so appreciative of you that you are the adult in the room and can pull us back <laughs> onto, onto topic. That was masterful how you and just I, did that. And I do that for you, dear listener, I, and I, I am so grateful that you have chosen to listen to us banter back and forth for so long. Ben, you're not my savior because that's Jesus. <laughs> But you're not a distant second either, buddy. I appreciate you, man. Please. Okay. All right. So should we be celebrating it on December 25th? Um, Look, you and I were talking about a similar uh, uh, subject, and I think Mm -hmm. you brought up exactly the right verse out of Colossians 2. Preach to him, man. Yeah. I mean, in in Colossians 2, Paul's saying, hey, don't let anybody cast judgment upon you with regards to, you know, feast days and, and days of the week and things like that. Now, he's specifically speaking about folks casting judgment upon these these Colossian believers uh, with, with with regards to whether or not they're celebrating, for example, Jewish feast days and things like that. But the principle is, he's saying, you know, don't let anybody cast judgment upon that. I would take that even further and saying the substance then 
But Paul's argument was the substance of these festivals belongs to Christ. And so for me, and, and again, this is just a benism. Again, you, you can you do as, first thing, do as your conscience, right, as you, as you are convinced by Scripture can go with right, so I don't want to. I don't want to lay any burden upon anybody's conscience, and I also don't want to create some kind of uh, <laughs> conscience institutional crisis or anything in somebody. But here's where I would go: Is that first of all, am I able to celebrate Christ? Is it good for us to celebrate the incarnation? I'm gonna go yes. I'm gonna go yes too, because apparently the Lord even decided that y- y- Yahweh Himself decided to light up the night. You know, with a bunch of angels celebrating the birth of his boy. So I'm okay with that. Pulled out all the right. stops, man. Absolutely. So I don't have a problem with that. Second of all, is it something that is worth remembering and repeating? Certainly. Mm-hmm. And the church did have a history of that. What did the church do traditionally meeting on the first day of the week? Resurrection. Exactly. So every day was, was Resurrection Sunday, yeah, baby. Yeah, every, every day was Resurrection Well, every Sunday, yeah. yeah so, so in all of that... We're what are we doing? We're remembering that God did something amazing. Stepping again, you know, you talk about how the incarnation is mind blowing. That is absolutely that. That is the the quintessential piece of theology. By the way, it's biology theology, but it's also the one of the most critical um, aspects of Christology that is constantly argued about. Yeah, is was Jesus man or not? I'm mean, just listening in this history. It's, there's constant arguments over that. Oh yeah, the number of splits that happened oh, and everything crazy, and the details over which they happened. That whole like this, listeners. I'm sorry, we're gonna lose you here. The uh, the whole homoousia and homoousia thing. Oh yeah. So homoousia is is Christ was the same substance. Homo same usia substance, same substance as God. Homoousia is of like substance. And yeah. so there we are at the Council of Nicaea in 325 debating homoousia or homoousia, and the difference is one Greek letter, iota, which is like an English I. And so the whole fate of Christianity hung on one letter. Yeah. And those details were that important. Yeah. So so the incarnation is something worth celebrating. And frankly, I think that we as Christians should be throwing the most awesome parties regarding that. Now, whoop, if we whoop. have that, and we happen to have that on December 25th, hey, celebrate it. Right? Don't deify the day. Right. Don't deify the traditions. Evaluate everything. But I'm, you know, if 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 there's a family that's like, man, we're gonna we're gonna throw up the tree and we're gonna have all the Christmas music and stuff like that. We're gonna start in October. I'm like, okay. Personally, that wouldn't be my preference. That's not good for my heart. That's not good for my heart. But you know, hey, once once Thanksgiving is over and I have given thanks to God for everything He has given me, now I get to celebrate the big gift that He has given me. I think that's legit. Yeah, let me just read this this verse uh, that you were quoting here. Two two verses, and I just want him to get this whole thing in one package. So sure Colossians thing. two sixteen and seventeen. Therefore, no one is to judge you in food or drink, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are only a shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Amen. Yeah, love it. I, I think I think Paul said something there that that should shape our. Um, are liberated consciences on yeah. a whole range of issues. Yeah. Which I maybe comes into that, you know, okay, this is getting, a, I'm, I'm going to mention a debate here, right? Normative versus regulative. Oh, yeah, the right? regulative principle. Does, yeah. the, does the scripture, like, regulate tightly every aspect of the Christian life? So if it's not written in the Bible, then we should not be doing it? Yeah, so that would be the regulative principle, yeah. that if it's not written in scripture, we don't do it. Yeah. Or is there the normative principle, where it's like the Bible doesn't forbid Therefore, there's freedom, mm-hmm. and 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 I'm 
much more of a of a normative versus regulative guy. Uh, balance, yeah, right. Well, and it depends on the on the subject too. Certainly. Right? So, like, if you're, I mean, you you take something like baptism. That's pretty regulative, yes. right? So when it comes to that, we're going to be relatively regulative dudes. Sure thing. And then when it comes to... But then there are other issues that are just issues of conscience because yeah. they're not spoken of a whole lot, such as how do you party? Yeah, and or or what foods do you eat? And, you know, before the New Covenant came in, all of that was regulated. You would have to be a regulative principle guy. Like Jesus in John 7, Jesus went to Hanukkah. He went to a Hanukkah festival. They called it the Festival of Lights, right? Yep. And we call it Hanukkah, but it was the same thing. They were celebrating what happened in the intertestamental, uh, intertestamental period with uh, Judas Maccabeus. Who had the coolest nickname in all of history? Judas the Hammer. Anyway. He led a rebellion and it works. They celebrate Hanukkah and Jesus did that too. And that was culturally mandated, even though it wasn't biblically mandated. But then all of the festivals of the Old Testament, I mean, you had to be regulative about that because they were not optional. But now, man, we got a freedom in Christ that's totally different. And so that's one thing where I will actually get a little bit defensive of our practices is when people forbid them, right? Yes. So you take, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses. They say, we shouldn't celebrate birthdays. I'm like, okay, fine. Don't celebrate your birthday. I don't care. It doesn't bother me at all. And then they say, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas. And I'm like, now we got beef. Now, if by that you mean we shouldn't celebrate it on December 25th with the commercialization of blah, 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 and it's Amazon's biggest profit day. Like, I, yeah, I get that. I'll, I'll rail against, you know, monetization of Christ any day. But to say we shouldn't sell, to say we shouldn't have a regular celebration of Christmas, you're binding consciences there. Or let me rephrase that. To say that we shouldn't have a regular celebration of the greatest miracle ever committed. <laughs> you're binding consciences in a way that the Bible would forbid. Yeah. So yeah, no, we, we, to answer the question, Gary, whether we celebrate it on December 25th or not is immaterial. Um, and it is a conscience issue as to whether you fall in with what the culture around you in Christianity does. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm telling you as your pastor that if your conscience is not bothered by that, that's fine. You should not seek to bind your conscience if it is not currently bound. Agreed. All right, so this now comes, uh, this is a similar question, so we may get a shorter answer out of this based upon everything that we've talked about so far. So from our friend the Berean, since we don't see people celebrating the birth of Christ in the early church, should we be celebrating Christmas at all? And I'm assuming by early church there, we mean the church in biblical times like that we see in the book of Acts and in the epistles. Because, yes. I mean, early church, that can mean either the biblical church, the New Testament church, or it could mean anybody before the fall of Rome in 400 AD when Augustine kind of kicks in, right? Yeah, I would probably just try and stick within them, maybe that first century or at least yeah. the literature that we have from that first century. Yeah. So the question then is, look, we don't see it there. So are we allowed to just make this stuff up and do it? So, yeah, I mean, so we're, we're normative principle guys. We would both say, sure. Right, yeah, yeah. Is it, you know again? Is it something that you know that, that boils down to again what we've we've kind of the the road that we've already kind of gone down? So yeah, but there are a lot of other issues that yeah. spoke off of that one too. Like uh, you know the old classic is from the worship wars in the eighties and nineties is oh, yeah. what about drums in church? You know, yep. No drums in the Bible, man. It's got a syncopated rhythm. Your soul's gonna rot. That's right. That's right. Yeah, five four time. Look, sorry, Sovereign Grace music. Everything they write is in six four time, and it's not you know standard. And so they are apparently anathema. But yeah. look, I mean, the, the Church of Christ, the whole denomination, whatever other doctrinal issues we may take up with them, that's one of their things is like there's no instruments in the New Testament. Yeah. So we're not, we're not allowed to have instruments in church. And they got some 
boss vocals in their in their in oh, their have you heard some of the like the choral stuff that they pull out well dude That's check amazing. this out so when i was a music pastor i had a vocal section because there was a like a split in the church of christ in in kenwick mm. and a bunch of them who were actually believers like they taught some weird stuff at that church but um the, the ones who were actually believers a bunch of them kind of came over to kenwick baptist at one time and then I came in after that as the music pastor. So I inherited these vocalists that could harmonize in their sleep. And it was phenomenal. And they were used to complex arrangements and stuff because they were all Church of Christ. So I benefited from it greatly. Oh, yeah. But look, there is no piano. There is no guitar. There is no drum kit. There's no organ in the New Testament. So are you allowed to use it? And it just goes straight to a matter of conscience. It is Colossians 2. It's also Romans 14. It's yep. also 1 Corinthians 8. It's like, listen, man. Did God say no? Then the answer is yes. You have freedom in Christ. Yeah. So um, with all of that then, um, let's kind of maybe branch off into some various uh, symbols that we hold uh, in the Christmas season, right? Yeah. So uh, you've, got, uh, you've got everything from uh, the Christmas tree, for example, a uh, question from Big John. Big John. Big John. Isn't the Christmas tree a pagan symbol? Freaking probably, I you know, <laughs> like you got <laughs> you got you you've got all of human history where people are praying to everything around them, so yeah. everything's been a pagan symbol at some point, right? I mean, yeah. like even now you get the Wiccans and you get the nature worshippers, and we got people praying to trees right now, you mm-hmm. know. So in a certain sense, yes, it has been a pagan symbol. I think probably what that question is getting at is more specifically did did we did we adopt a tenet of pagan religion and pretend that it was Christianity? And so now we're actually practicing paganism when we think we're practicing Christianity, right? We call it baptized paganism or whatever. So the history there does get a little bit complex because there was, um, so like in, in Old Testament times, the Phoenicians had this ritual where every year Baal, the Canaanite God mentioned in the Old Testament many, many times, Baal would die and then Ashtaroth would go to the underworld to get him back. I think I'm getting the story the right way around would go to the underworld to get him back. And what she would do is she would go to the underworld and, and there's different versions of the story, but one of them is like this. And listen, if you're listening to this with your kids in the car, you're going to want to pause it here. Cause like most Canaanite mythology, this one gets a little bit explicit. So, um, she would go to the underworld to get him from where he was locked in the place of the dead, but she couldn't get him out for whatever reason, because you know, she didn't know the secret handshake or whatever. And so, she wanted to take part of him with her. So what she did was she cut off his penis and took it back to earth and then planted it and it grew up as a tree. And so then people would cut down the trees and bring them into their house uh, and basically have worship around these trees to bring Baal back from the dead. And then when he came back, then it was spring and life would come back in the agrarian cycle and we all got to eat again, right? So in that, in that, mythology then yeah religious worship of the tree at you know in the middle of winter around winter solstice was a phallic symbol pretty gross pretty graphic the question is is that what christian is that where christians got it and are we inculcating that into christianity yeah and i i wouldn't i wouldn't go that route you've got druid and celtic religions too that deal with worshiping trees and things like that i think where where i've where I've understood, and you can correct me on on that, is that you know Germany probably is the largest creditor to what we have as a as a Christmas tree tradition. Now, um, it actually comes from 
Again, our buddy, my man, Martin Luther, <laughs> right around uh, the 16th century, uh, the, the, the story, the history is, is that he was walking around uh, towards his home one winter evening, composing a sermon, and he was awed by the brilliance of the stars twinkling amongst the evergreens. And to recapture the scene for his family, he erected you know, a, a tree in the main room and uh, you know, put, put candles on the, on the limbs and things like that. Which always you know? actually, when I heard about that one, that actually made me lose a little bit of respect for Luther. I'm like, you brought a tree into your house, put fire on it, <laughs> <laughs> and expected this to go well? <laughs> well, you know. Hey, it, I guess it went fine. Yeah, it went I fine. Know. I mean, you know, so, but, uh, but from the, from the standpoint of whether or not, you know, what, what, what inspired him, I mean, he's looking at nature, he's seeing the heavens declaring the glory of God and yeah. wanting to, to put visuals. And that was, I mean, if you, if you know anything about the history of Luther, man, he was always constantly trying to find these ways to communicate, you know, yeah. who Christ is, how amazing God was. I mean, even in like his shorter catechisms and things like that, they were all written like essentially for kids. I mean, he loved, he loved kids. And so as he's trying to explain and describe the glory and the majesty of God and he bring and, and, and all of that, and he brings in a, you know, what, what probably becomes more of a traditional understanding of a Christmas tree in there. You know, I don't think there's anything pagan or, or, or sinful about that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, um, in country music, guys will sue each other for stealing each other's chord progressions and melodies. And <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, guys, it's country. You're only playing three chords anyway, maybe four if you want to feel a little soulful. You'll play the, the minor mm-hmm. six and be like, like, pretend it's a magic trick or something. But you can only, there's only so many elements to actually work with here in the structure. And so when you're talking about, you know, looking to nature to communicate the point of what God has done supernaturally, you only got so many options. And so, yeah, some stuff that we do now is going to look like some stuff that some pagans used to do, whatever. I, I wouldn't freak out about it. Yeah. I would, I don't think it's, it's, it's something that needs to be, again, according to your conscience right now, if you're looking yeah. at the Christmas tree and you're thinking, oh, great, here is a depiction of Bale's penis. <laughs> <laughs> Let me recommend against that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. um, but okay, it, kids gather around story time. Oh, no, thank you. Um, but, but if you can, if, if you can, if you can sit there and, and, and like Luther meditate on, on the grandeur of God. You can do that. Hang on. Sorry. I'm, we're recording a podcast episode right now. Is it okay if I call you back afterwards? Yeah. Okay. That'd be great. All right. Thanks. See you. Do continue. Okay. So in all of that, Christmas trees? Quesera, sarah, man. Yep. Exactly. All right. So here comes my question. All right. It's your favorite one. This is my favorite one because it deals with my favorite home. Well, not my favorite homeboy, but one of my favorite favoriteest stories goes around to St. Nicholas. Ah, yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. The face-punching, heretic-punching saint. Praise uh, God. Yes. Um, but also, where you know, are, should we even, you know, the fat man in red pajamas floating down Christmas, you know, chimneys? I mean, are we are we indoctrinating our kids into sinful, uh, you know, into sinful stories as we look at uh, as we maybe share those Christmassy songs that deal with our friend Saint Nick, jolly old Saint Nicholas, yes, punch Arius in the face. Which, by the way, I mean, we got to tell them the story. Right? Oh yeah, it's not much of a story. Oh yes, mm-hmm. I think you. Mm-hmm. Saw, I tell it much better than I do. Well, it's very short. Basically, it was the Council of Nicaea, and Nicholas was actually there, who we now know as Saint Nicholas. He was a bishop of whatever something yeah. in north africa like probably carthage or something i don't know but um yeah arius was just spouting his filth and 
the story goes, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but supposedly it was written by a first, uh, you know, um, an eyewitness, firsthand account that Nick just got up and said, I've heard enough coming out of that filthy mouth of yours, and he punched him in it. You know, the thing is, is that I think that that, I think it's important that we understand that theology is, is important, and sometimes it's worth swinging blows over. <laughs> <laughs> there is such a thing as fighting words. Yes. Yeah. Jesus was not a. He was not fully met. I got a Ow. feeling that if something like where some someone were to make that kind of a statement, like in the elders' meeting, that there would be fists flying. There would. And look, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna front. I enjoy this piece of history, and I'm glad that that happened. But in reality, he did disqualify himself as a pastor, at least until he repented, because a pastor is not supposed to be a brawler. This is true. So he he should not have done that. But it's a little bit hardcore and awesome. Yes. I'm going to go ahead and say that now. Now, I, I, I shouldn't say that if he was alive, but he's yes. very, very much not anymore. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. So, but now we have we have the tradition of St. Nicholas, who also then, you know, was known for being, I guess, generous. That's one of the one of the stories and traditions uh, sound, sound, that have sprung up around this, right? You have the European, you know, Generous with cans yeah. of butt whooping. <laughs> he was generous with more than that, right? Love for the poor and things like that, which is totally legit and fine. But now... That tradition has changed, probably through the swift marketing of the Coca-Cola company. I heard that. Yes. I don't know if that's true or not. I heard it, that, like, we, basically Coke came up with the our the, depiction of our, Santa Claus. Yes, our current depiction of Santa Claus really? is yeah, was, was a marketing scheme <laughs> to sell Coca-Cola, uh, which at the time... If I'm remembering correctly, I think it I I think it was not laced with cocaine, so that's great. It was you know? post cocaine. I think era. it was post cocaine. Era. Right. So we're not celebrating the fat guy doing blow. <laughs> so Santa Claus, uh, but but the tradition that we now have of the fat dude coming down the Christmas tree that gets taught to millions of kids. What do we do with that? <laughs> coming down the Christmas chimney again. Yeah, well, yeah. Filling up socks. <laughs> I mean, like maybe just ignore it. I don't know. I mean, like, is is it is it inherently sinful that it's there? No. Okay. Did you tell your kids that Santa Claus was real? And if if you don't want to divulge like your family's inner dialogue on this, because oh, no, I know no, this no. is a special thing, just tell me to take a hike. But like, how no, do you navigate we, that? What we did is here, here's what we did: is we decided, okay, look, we 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 told our kids, okay, there there are these traditions, there are these fun stories about Santa Claus. Is he real? No. But we also said, hey, don't go telling your friends, yeah. you know, and, and spoiling somebody else's, you know, Christmas, family's Christmas tradition. We would usually, especially as we got older, and I remember even in my family, you know, way back in the day, we would, we knew that Santa Claus wasn't real, but we would get like, you know, Santa Claus, Santa Claus gifts. And that was yeah. just code for, you know, an extra gift beyond what mom and dad would give us right and it was it was fun it was it, it was not something that was inherently even when we weren't you know, we weren't leaving little sacrifices of cookies and milk so that the great christmas fairy would leave us you know something sacrifices you took yeah. that straight into the idolatry i space. know see we weren't yeah. doing that right but but what we were doing is we were just celebrating it and it be, kind of became this this thing you know and, and much akin to like you know the great pumpkin from charlie brown or something like yeah, that yeah, yeah. you know we kind of that was so that was where we went and 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 so Santa Claus, it's, it's I, don't, I don't find a bunch of stuff about Santa Claus, and I don't put them on my walls or anything like that. But I appreciate yeah. the tradition for what it was, at least, and for in, even some of the memories that it brings back from from you know Christmases long ago or something. Right. And I like I, I we adopted my sister's approach to this. Her and her husband, she said that um, they they would tell their kids who are a couple of years ahead of ours. They said, "Look, Santa Claus isn't a real person that's out there, but it, it is a fun game that we play." Yeah. You know. And I was like. 
That's great because yep. then you get to do all the Santa Claus stuff and whatever, and it's like a play along thing. the The thing that I that I worried about, um, as far as our kids, like, because you know, you got to evaluate all that stuff. Are we really going to tell them what do we think? I didn't want them to have a a belief in a person who delivers gifts to them freely, you know, free of charge. I didn't want them to have that belief shattered at a young age. Yes. Because it's like, then you're just creating categories for apostasy later on, maybe yep. in a certain set of circumstances. It, that's yeah. a little bit overdramatic the way that I just said it, but it's also, it, it does seem like, like, um, why do that if you don't have to? Yeah. And I think it's a genuine question. Cause I know that's legitimately what, what my wife and I struggled with is like, okay, so do, how do we, how do we be truth tellers to our children? Mm-hmm. So that they don't all of a sudden come home with this crestfallen look that, oh, everything that we've built up for the last like four years <laughs> results in, you know, well, I can't believe that. So can I trust anything that my parents tell me? So we always wanted to be really truthful yeah. about it. And so look, Santa Claus isn't real, at least in the way that the way that the world's going to put them out. But here's some fun stories. And so like, I love telling my sons that like, yeah. St. Nicholas was a heretic puncher. Yeah. You know, well, and you like guys that. do some really cool stuff with yeah. other holidays. Like um, instead of the Easter bunny, you do what now? Oh, gosh. There's the scavenger hunt thing? Oh, no, that's Christmas. Oh, Christmas. Yeah. Tell so me about what, that. So what we do is we gather up all, all of our presents, um, and usually about every other year, we have Nestor the Christmas donkey. <laughs> and and he comes, which there is a there is a, a cartoon or something where it's Nestor the long-eared Christmas donkey. I think it comes from Rankin and Bass's um, Christmas, uh, claymation Christmassy kind of um, era. And, uh, and so what Nestor does is he comes and takes all the presents after having been displayed for, you know, a week or two underneath the tree and the presents go missing. And then there's a scavenger hunt. When, when they were little, it was around the house. Uh, a couple of years ago when we were kind of getting ready to, to, to leave California. And that was kind of in the thing. We, we actually had a, a, a whole citywide scavenger hunt on Christmas day, that which is amazing. was fun i mean we had people from starbucks i went to starbucks and handed out little gifts and we had to tip the tip the baristas who were working on christmas day and all that kind of stuff and it was great it was fun as well that is the most brilliant thing i've ever heard in my life oh dude it's it is so fun so yeah yeah i do kind of wish that the santa claus tradition could have developed without the the saint nicholas part because that does borrow a sacred category of agreed defense of the faith church fathers you know things Mm -hmm. like that it's like if, if we could extricate Christian history from yeah. the fake Christmas tradition. Mm-hmm. I would appreciate that. But I mean, we're, we're, you know, yeah. you, you can't, you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube, right? Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting because this is, even though we, we, we kind of go through these cycles and I think it's probably everybody goes through these cycles of when we look at these traditions and these holidays, right. And we see, especially now, again, the consistent materialism that tends to grow around Christmas. We look at Christmas and Santa Claus and gift giving and all that kind of stuff. Like, am I feeding some kind of beast, right? Yeah. But but this is a cycle that we all work through because you can even look back at, you know, cartoons, for example, like the Charlie Brown Christmas. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what Charlie Brown is struggling with. He sees all the rampant materialism. And, he, and then I remember watching that, you know, and, and what's he do? He's, he's in the middle of a nativity play and they're trying to figure out all this kind of stuff. And he yells and screams out, can anybody tell Tell me what Christmas is really all about, right? Yeah. And then, of course, you get the overhyped and sometimes over uh, analyzed cartoon. You know, the, 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 you have Linus get up there and he drops a dime on um, on Luke chapter two and rocks it. I mean, yep. it's great. I mean, the fact that you have somebody quoting the Bible, you know, in in a cartoon and doing so well. I was awesome. Yeah. Now I know a lot of people have kind of put uh, 
they've really tried to to attach uh, Charles uh, Schultz into saying, well, Linus dropped the blanket after he gave this great story about Jesus. And they want to attach so much meaning to that. I've heard whole sermons, not kidding, whole sermons, 30 minutes of a sermon based upon that event. He dropped the blanket? He dropped his security blanket. That was That was the thing. Linus was that cartoon character that had a security blanket and that was kind of like his teddy bear right and at the end of at the end of quoting luke he says okay my security they were saying that that linus was saying here's the security that i have you know not in this blanket so if that was a sermon illustration that's one thing you're saying whole sermon whole Whole sermon. sermon see why can't we just preach the bible i here's the thing why not just talk about the fact that God lit up the sky because he literally, at, because somehow, he added humanity to himself and came and, and experienced, you know, experienced and lived that perfect life for you and for me. I feel like celebrating right now just Heck, listening to you say that. Yes. Come on. That's a party right there. Love right? it. But when it comes to, you know, getting all of these things and then and then marrying up all this stuff with materialism, is it right to celebrate? Absolutely. Well, and let's talk about opportunities yeah. to, to disciple your kids, right? Yeah. I mean, so the, a family holiday, and it darn well should be a family holiday. I mean, every holiday ought to be a family holiday. Agreed. Family is vastly important, right? Yes. But when I give gifts to my children, I mean... Is that not a theology lesson? Yeah. You know, so every year we get to we get to go over the gospel. All right, guys, God gives gifts to people. And you see how I had to just, you know, uh, he gives gifts to his children. And do you see how I just had to teach the little ones to say thank you? That's because in Luke 6, Jesus says he himself is kind even to ungrateful and evil men. So I'm giving to you, even if you don't appreciate it. Yeah. I'm giving to you before you know to say thank you. And then I'll teach you to say thank you. And you'll learn to love me as we go. That's the Christian life. So I get to represent God in my home, which is the design. I'm not God, but I'm supposed to create categories in my kid's head for what he's like, right? Yeah. I mean, talk about opportunity. Yeah. And then we get to eat. Dad provides food. Yep. Like God, right? So, you know, there's stuff about marriage or stuff. I mean, it's it's great. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. Absolutely. So I, I say we shouldn't sacrifice it too easily. Absolutely. As long as it doesn't bother your conscience. Agreed. All right. So, here comes our snarky question of the <laughs> I laughed so hard when I saw this one. Because, by the way, I should say, I know this guy. He's a dear friend. So, you just need to know that so this can hit you the same way it hit me. All right. So, from the soulmate of snark. <laughs> Apt. Dustin. Yes. You don't have a problem with the Christmas tree, but you have a problem with Easter eggs. Are you a hypocrite or just very unobservant as to your own inconsistencies? Can you feel the love tonight? Um, I'm a hypocrite, but not for that reason. <laughs> I have other hypocrisies that the Lord is working on me with one at a time. This one, look... The, we, we did this in an episode, so I'm not going to rehash the whole thing, but basically I'm not a big fan of the Easter eggs because according to the history that I've been able to dig up, and of course there's conflicting stories about it and blah, 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 right? But it seems to me that the most reliable history we've got is that these the Easter eggs were based on fertility festivals and all of these symbols of fertility and these big religious orgies that would happen in the Canaanite religions and things like that. So there were there were things about sacrifices happening and even infant sacrifices and then painting eggs with the blood of either baby humans or baby goats or whatever. And I'm just like, I just don't like the whole thing. The whole thing was just icky to me. I'm not sure how it links to the resurrection anyway. So I was just like, we're, we're just, we're just not going to touch it. Now I love me some hard boiled eggs. I'll crush some hard boiled eggs. I am cool hand Luke when it comes to hard boiled eggs, but 
as far as the painting and stuff like that, I was just like, eh, maybe not in the Myers house. So that's an area of conscience for us. Really just me, but since I'm the head of the house, everybody else has to suffer for it. And I don't import that onto other people or impose that on other people. You want to do Easter eggs, you got a different understanding of it, rock and roll, right? Now the tree, like we said, I don't I don't really see a link between having a Christmas tree in the house and celebrating the pagan festivals that have been celebrated around trees in the past, right? Yeah. And it is it is a subjective line. I mean, everybody's going to have to make this decision for themselves, but you know, when you take a look at the the history of the Christmas tree, is there weird stuff in the past? Yeah, we went over the druid stuff, we went over the Canaanite stuff, whatever. Is there a necessary link there? I don't I don't see it. I don't think so. I do think there's a necessary link with the Easter egg thing because you're still doing the painting and the dyeing, especially when it's red and things like that. So I see a link there, whereas I don't see one with the Christmas tree. And after having evaluated and thought about it, I've, you know, it's, it's not a, uh, it's not an inherently demonic message that gets communicated by it. So yeah, I don't have a problem with it. And I think again, dear believer, this is also where we also get to rest in grace. There you, I, go. you know, let, let's say, let's say, for example, because there were times where, where, for example, Cricket and I, my wife, uh, we we made some pretty hardcore calls on various holidays. You know, like that we would do nothing with Halloween whatsoever. You can't dress up, can't mm-hmm. do anything. You know, and and we were like, this was this was an area of conscience for us. And at that point, at that time, we didn't want to violate our conscience. Now mm-hmm. have our. Then we, as we were looking through it, as we were thinking about it, we we're going, okay, days equal whatever. All of a sudden, we're thinking, hey, wait a minute. We also might be able to go around to our neighbors and get to know them and give them gifts mm-hmm. and, and better represent Jesus in many different ways to our neighbors. And that's what you and I are always talking about with our people, right? It's exactly. like, how often does your neighborhood mission field come to your front door? Totally. Like, you know, be ready for it. So, so we're like, okay, maybe we can do this. And okay. So my kids get to dress up as like a Jedi or as a, as a, as princess Elsa or something like that. Yeah. We're like, okay, fine. Great. And they get free candy. And that was our line on that one was we, yeah. we decided that um, we, we just wanted our kids to stay away from the death culture. Agreed. So skeletons and ghosts and, and goblins and things that are inherently dark and, um, you know, some might even, some with, some with a tender conscience might say demonic. Like gargoyles, yeah. for example. It's not, a, it's not a big link between that and demonism of some sort just because of the grotesque nature of it. So we were like, let's just stay away from that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, Princess Elsa, whatever, dude. Yeah. So, so when it comes to that, even with, it's, but do we go backwards? Excuse me, I just hit my mic my mic a lot do we go backwards and say oh we were so bad and did, did we screw up our kids forever no there's grace yeah right and and you know our or maybe we go oh we need to refine this because we were kind of teeter-tottering on that edge well guess what there's grace yeah and we get to we get to grow right yep. yeah and that's, and that's a good thing that's actually something to be celebrated so yeah. yeah we will chuckle sometimes and it's like oh gosh i used to believe this or i used to be okay doing that and i didn't realize it was wrong sometimes my father-in-law gave me this advice years ago when I was in my early 20s. And he, he said, you know, as you, as you get older, some stuff you're going to lighten up and realize it's not such a big deal. Yeah. Other stuff, you're going to harden your stance. And that was really helpful for me to hear him say that because, you know, you would you would expect that what you're all fired up as, what you're all fired up about as a young man 
you know, the, the common story would go, well, when you get older, you realize it wasn't such a big deal. And he's like, well, that's true. But there's also another side of that coin where there's yeah. things that are not, there's things that are far more important right now than you're realizing. Yeah. And you're going to harden your stance on those. So yeah, man, let yourself grow. Yeah. Grace is a great summary term for all of that, but let yourself grow in your understanding and yeah. don't ever violate your conscience. No, no, not at all. All right. So that brings us to the end of this. Isn't that's so any other things that we want to drop on our dear listeners? I think the only thing that I would, I would feel terrible about leaving them without hearing is make sure that you use your family time. And I'm specifically talking to moms and dads, you know, husbands, I mean, heads of the house, right? Make sure that you do not pass up the communication of the gospel, right? Amen. I mean, the incarnation is the pivotal point of all of history. And if you take that along with the cross and the resurrection and you see the whole earthly ministry of Christ as one event, you just count that as one event, that is the most important event in, mm-hmm. in world history. And it's also the most important event for the eternity of your, your, your children or those for whom you are responsible. So grab the gospel opportunity because we have, you know, as, as dark as our culture is and as anti-Christian as it is, we still, for some reason, have this inroad to communicate gospel just as a matter of schedule. So yeah, let's, let's not, let's not drop the ball on that one. This is a great opportunity. Amen. And amen. this is our thing. <laughs> it becomes materialistic and it becomes, you know what, it gets polluted a million different ways, but at the core, it's still called Christmas mm-hmm. and it is our thing. So yeah, speak boldly. Amen. Well, let's see here, dear brother. I think that the, uh, the world is a messed up place. No, I think we pretty much fixed it in this episode. And, uh, okay. So I would disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll amen that. You're right. All right. I, I lose. But we do have a gospel that is perfectly suited to fix it. Amen. 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 Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love him because he first loved us.